3: Gathered in on hollow ground, and my name is Mike Connors. And this show is divided in two parts, not necessarily equal parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we and it's it's hard to describe. But what we do is a combination of different things, history, politics, nostalgia. Tonight we're going to be talking about Christians in the Middle East. But before we talk about the Christians in the Middle East, we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit more fun topic, uh, Norwegian Day in Brooklyn. And Beth, do you have any any questions right now for us on email?
4: Oh, I do. Email before Norwegian Day?
3: Yeah, we'll talk about Norwegian Day in the second segment.
4: Okie dokie. Anna Maria wants to know what types of benefits can be obtained through home care Medicaid. She also wants to know if she can hire her own, own, own home attendant through Medicaid, and how does that work?
3: Okay. Well, what kind of benefits are, are you entitled to through home care Medicaid? Well, assuming your medical doctor certifies that you need 24 hours, 7 7-day-a-week care, you can obtain 24 hours, 7 7-day-a-week care through Medicaid. And you can hire your own home attendant. You can also get paid for home equipment, supplies. But again, the most important part of the program is to pay for home attendance. And depending on your income, most people do not really have to pay anything for home care Medicaid uh, because we're fortunate enough right now in New York where we can put our pension and Social Security checks into a pooled income trust and save those assets from nursing home bills. Well, let's take our first question of the night. Sandy in Queens, yes, Sandy. What's your question?
4: Hi, Mike. I have a question for you. Um, I have I have a will, and I'm not sure if I have to change it. I don't. I don't have any kids, and I'm I'm divorced. My family is my my two siblings, but my will says that everything goes to my godson, uh, Persterpes. My godson recently had a baby. If God forbid, my godson and his baby died before me. And if I didn't change my will, where does everything go when I'm gone?
3: Well, assuming your godson doesn't have another child, it would go to your brother and your sister. I mean, the state writes a will for you, and if you don't have the what if covered in your will, then that state will would take care. And so if you're not married, you have no children, your parents are gone, then it would go to your brother and sister. Now, your will would control, obviously, would go to your godson first. And if something happened to your godson, it would go to his children per stirpes. And, of course, we're also assuming he doesn't have another child. But if if he has no children, surviving him and something happens to him, then it goes to your brother and sister or whoever your next of kin are at that time, maybe, you know, nephews and nieces. All right. Beth, I think we got another question, right?
4: Yes, we do. And this one is from Frank. Does a will offer, offer protection against nursing home bills? And who can serve as an executor? if I make a will.
3: Okay. Second part of it, who can serve as an executor? Any person over 18 not convicted of a serious crime, U.S. citizen, can serve as an executor. In addition, a, a person who's a New York resident who has a green card can serve as executor. So it's it's a pretty broad class of people that can serve as an executor. But, you know, sometimes people do overlook it. Sometimes every once in a while somebody... If, if you have, a let's say, a brother who's not a U.S. citizen and he lives in New Jersey, he cannot serve as your executor in New York. And, you know, sometimes people get in trouble and they're convicted of a crime. A felon, a felon, in theory, cannot serve as executor in New York. Now, I know it slips through the cracks a lot because, you know, people are not paying attention. But, in theory, a felon cannot serve as an executor in New York. But pretty much anybody else can serve as an executor in New York. Over 18, not convicted of a crime, preferably a U.S. citizen. It's safer to have a U.S. citizen because you could could have your, you know, let's say your brother who was born in Ireland or something like that and he's living in New Jersey. He can't be your executor. Now, if he lives in New York now, oh yeah, he can be your executor, but then he moves to New Jersey, you know, then maybe he can't. So, and if, by the way, if anybody has any questions right now, give us a call at 866 970 866-9622-866-970-9622, 866-970-9622. Nine six two two eight six six nine seven zero nine six two two eight six six nine seven zero nine six two two. 9622 866 970 866-970-9622. Now, Beth, when I was growing up as a kid, and you never experienced this, Norwegian Day used to be a big event in Bay Ridge. It's not quite as big an event, but we're going to try to help it uh, around a little bit. And next weekend, now Norwegian Day is May 17th, But in Bay Ridge, they celebrate Norwegian Day on the closest Sunday to May 17th, and they're going to have a Viking Fest. Saturday, May 20th, the Scandinavian East Coast Museum will have a Viking Fest from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Owl's Head Bliss Park, located at 68th Street and Colonial Road in Brooklyn. Now, Colonial Road is the same as First Avenue. So if you're in the neighborhood and you're in Third Avenue and 68th Street, next block is Ridge Boulevard. They like to fool you up a little bit at <laughs> Second Avenue. And the next block after that is Colonial Road. You go three, four blocks further on the other side of 65th Street, Colonial Road becomes First Avenue. Ridge Boulevard becomes Second Avenue. So they're going to have displays. They're going to have the Norseman, a replica Viking ship, and its crew. And you can
4: climb all over it.
3: Mm-hmm. You can, huh? I haven't been there before.
4: Yeah, Mikey went there. All right.
3: Now, do we ever get it on Facebook? Do we ever up our Viking ship on the...
4: No, it will be up tomorrow. Okay. We have a, a great, you know, I don't know if everybody knows it, but my husband collects toy soldiers.
3: Military miniatures.
4: 54 millimeter we have a beautiful viking ship we actually have two but we have one that's all set up i have to get the oars out for all the guys they're usually up but before we take the picture of it and put it on facebook i want all the rowers with their oars but it's it's cool now this is a conti ship i wonder how mr conti's doing
3: yeah, those of you know Toy Soldier Collectors, Mr. Conti apparently hasn't produced a new set in quite a few years. And I haven't looked at his website in more than a few months, but the last time I looked, he hadn't posted anything in more than uh, in, in more than a year. So I hope he's doing maybe he's
4: okay. On, maybe he's working on something spectacular.
3: Yeah, but a true visionary in the uh, toy soldier field, very unappreciated by his, many of his colleagues.
4: All right. Well so, isn't he the isn't he the one that started the type of soldiers that you collect?
3: No, I think it was Britons that did that.
4: Brittons? He was he their sculptor?
3: No. I think what, Ken did
4: he ever work with Britons?
3: I don't think so. Richard Walker and I think Ken Olson started the, the new okay. toy soldier or military miniature, which, you know, back in the old days it was a toy soldier, now it's a military miniature because they look so realistic and you know, lifestyle. And by the way, you know, you can, every once in a while you can look on our uh, Facebook page and you'll see some pictures of some of our military miniatures. We have uh, Ed Bars looking at the display in our living room, and that was from a couple of weeks ago. And I had to work hard on that one because I had to take <laughs> the inappropriate flags down because Ed Bars is the only guy in the United States who would figure out that the flag doesn't belong there. And,
4: and he'd fuss at you.
3: Right, right. So you're mixing <laughs> regiments, Connors. You know, how dare you do that, you know, because that was a, that was a mortal sin back in the Civil War for mixing regiments. So.
4: <laughs> and know. I don't know if everybody, but on Sundays, oftentimes we have to go to the office to deploy the troops. <laughs> right. If you, I you're always What's welcome.
3: To, anybody's always welcome to the office, you know, Monday through Saturday. <laughs> uh, the staff there, will let you they'll they'll let you see some of the toy soldiers. They, you know. They humor my eccentricities and so forth, and you can see it. But in the front window, you don't even have to go in it. We have Thomas Francis Marr of Mars Brigade, and on July first, and I don't have the, all the details yet, but on July we'll first, we'll on July first, they're going to unveil his bust at the Greenwood at Greenwood Cemetery. Those of you who remember when we spoke to Tim Egan, who wrote the book about Thomas Francis Marr, He died, he drowned in the Missouri River in 1868 as governor of Montana. At the time, when I read it in the history books, they said kind of he was drunk and fell off the boat. Egan said he was murdered by a group of vigilantes. So it's an interesting Uh theory. But his body was never recovered. His wife was buried in in Greenwood Cemetery. So they're going to have an unveiling of his bust on July 1st at Greenwood Cemetery. I assume it's going to be by his wife's grave. Um, but I don't know the exact time, and I don't know the exact place outside of Greenwood Cemetery. But it's going to be on July 1st, and I think a group of us should go to pay respects to the general.
4: If you have not been to Greenwood Cemetery, it is extraordinary. The history, um, they do tours. Um, it's a national landmark now. Uh, it, 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 this is, uh, if, you, if anybody knows the Battle of Brooklyn, you know, this is the high ground, and you have the Soldiers' Monument in the greenwood cemetery so um if you're a history lover this is i think the best cemetery you, the u.s has
3: okay now we need to take a short break we're a little bit behind you're listening to ask the lawyer with me mike connors
0: hello this is father frank cabone of priests for life the pro-life movement is winning One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information, but so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life.
5: Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now.
1: Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622.
3: Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. When I was growing up in Bay Ridge, one of the biggest celebrations of the year was May 17th. Some people might say, well, wait a minute, what's May 17th? So we're very happy to have Arlene Rotolo from Marty Golden's office to tell us all about it.
6: Thank you, Mike, for inviting me here today uh, to give you a little information about the Norwegian Day Parade. Uh, It's really called Sjötnöme, which is translated uh, 17th of May. Uh, And everyone here in Brooklyn at some point or another had a Norwegian uh, neighbor where they they knew um, somebody that was Norwegian, whether it was a grandmother or a relative, because at that time when the parade started, 65 years ago, Bay Ridge was flooded with blue eyes and blonde hair, people walking around. So we were a majority then. Now we kind of blend right in.
3: okay so what's the history of May 17th why May 17th
6: well certainly my May 17th is the anniversary of uh, the constitution of uh, Norway and the Norwegians are very very patriotic the year was 1814 and they uh, actually it was Independence Day from Sweden and uh, huge celebrations and I 200 years of celebrations still is very over 20 years of celebration is still very very noticeable in Norway and beyond they are very patriotic in Norway and take that very seriously and very happy and celebratory.
3: The parade this year is not on May 17th.
6: No. We as a committee, because we follow the New York City guidelines, we always have to have the parade the Sunday closest to May 17th. Uh, In Norway, it's always on the day, never the Sunday after or before. But here in New York, we have to follow the guidelines we have to have a parade. And we are celebrating our 65th parade this Sunday, May 21st. And we're very excited about it.
3: And where's it going to start?
6: Well, the parade starts on uh, 85th Street and 3rd Avenue. It goes along 3rd Avenue and takes a right up uh, fifth uh, up to Fifth Avenue, makes another left, and we end up in Lake Erickson Park, which is on Sixty Sixth Street between Sixth and Seventh Avenue. That's where our grandstand is, and it's a it's a nice long walk, but nice weather. Um, it's a beautiful walk up along the walk along the avenue.
3: May seventeenth, what we call Norwegian Day. May twenty first, the Norwegian Day Parade. That's Bay correct. Ridge, Brooklyn, eighty fifth Street. And Third Avenue, starting point.
6: One more thing. The day before, we have the Viking Fest, which is May 20th. And we have worked very hard to make uh, Bay Ridge a destination for Norwegians because they come everywhere. They come from Norway. They come from all over the United States that come to the parade. So we are very proud of that. So welcome, everyone.
3: Thank you. Okay. Again, Viking Fest is going to be on Saturday, May 20th. And it starts at 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. Owlshead. Park on 68th Street and Colonial Road, and they're going to have a replica of Viking ship there. I remember when the Viking ships used to float down Fifth Avenue there, and the guys would come off the Viking ship and, uh, you know, order a beer at my father's bar on, (laughs) on, you know, Norwegian Day. Now, we're going to have further discussions about Norwegian Day next weekend. We're going to have the Consulate General Norway to... The United States in New York, she's going to be joining us and she's going to tell us a little bit more about the history of Norwegian Day. Now, getting back to Greenwood Cemetery, uh, again, we're going to have Thomas Francis Mars' bust uh, displayed on July 1st. And there's another great Irish American general that's uh, buried at Greenwood Cemetery, and that's Tom Sweeney. And Ed Bars told me a story about Tom Sweeney that happened in, you know, around November, I think, 1864. Tom Sweeney got in a dispute with his corps commander. Tom Sweeney was a divisional commander, and the his corps commander inappropriately commandeered some of his troops, again, mixing regiments, as Ed Bars would say is a mortal sin back in Civil War days, and he told me that... Uh, after Tom Sweeney con- confronted General Dodge, he called him a lying SOB, and General Dodge asked him to repeat it, and he says, I won't, you're a cowardly <laughs> lying SOB. At which General Dodge took a swing at Tom Sweeney, who had one arm. He ducked the blow and then knocked General Dodge on his rear end. Uh, then General Fuller came up to the aid of General Dodge, and Tom Sweeney. Pr- you know, then knocked him on his rear end, <laughs> for which he was court-martialed but acquitted because General Grant always liked a fighting general, and Tom Sweeney was a fighting general.
4: How did he lose his arm?
3: It was shot off in the Mexican War, and and that's another story that uh, from Greenwood Cemetery that General Sweeney and General Carney, they both lost arms in the Mexican War, and they used to go to the opera together, and they would buy gloves. One had a right-handed glove and one had a (laughs) left-handed glove. I forget which one was which. But that's part of the history of Greenwood Cemetery and Tom Sweeney's buried there. Henry Halleck, who was chief of staff before Grant in the American Civil War and served kind of like as Grant's administrative assistant in Washington, is is also buried in Greenwood Cemetery, not far from uh, Fort Hamilton Parkway.
4: I bet. Now, if people saw... um the gangs of New York didn't build a butcher there?
3: That's my understanding. I've never seen the grave. I mean, Sweeney's grave we've seen and uh, yeah. Henry Halleck's grave we've seen. I don't know what what was he. I forget his name even.
4: It's not. Yeah, we have to look that one up. Also, there are baseball people there.
3: Well, obviously, there are baseball people there, but uh, the first professional baseball player uh, is buried there and also Alexander Cartwright who invented the... Uh, invented the box score, who worked for the Brooklyn Eagle. He's also buried there, so he's one of the founders of uh, baseball. It's a very interesting place, and if there is a tour coming up, I, I strongly recommend seeing it. But again, keep us in mind, July 1st, we'll try to get some more information on it, and we'll be talking about fighting, well, not fighting Tom Sweeney, we'll be fighting about General Thomas Francis Mar of, of Marr's Brigade, who was, uh, you know, exiled from Ireland in 1848, made his way to the United States, and as Tim Egan said, became the most famous Irishman in the world, ended up governor of Montana, and died a mysterious death. All right. Well.
4: I have I have another email question. Do you have time for it or no?
3: No, we don't. William oh. Poole is the real name, James. William Poole is the real name of Bill the Butcher. Okay. We need to take, take a short break. And then we're going to be talking to Helma Addy, who did a film about Christians in the Middle East. And then we're going to be talking about Michael Franchese, who uh, has changed careers, and we'll be talking about that.
1: I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a a burden to me.
4: I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time. gradually quit going.
0: No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have
1: a beautiful car, a big fancy home. If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness
0: that's there.
5: We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home.
0: Now
4: that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it.
7: There's peace in our home that we didn't have before.
4: You're coming home to a Catholic family
1: where people today just embrace you.
3: If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today.
0: For
1: our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more.
8: Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars.
1: On Monday, May 15th at Bocelli's Ristorante, 1250 Highland Boulevard in Grasmere, Staten Island, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., and at the 3 West Club. 3 West 51st Street in Midtown Manhattan on Tuesday, May 16th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m.
8: Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment.
1: Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors & Sullivan. 718-238-6500 or go to ConnorsAndSullivan.com
8: Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information call 718-238-6500 or go to ConnorsAndSullivan.com
1: Connors and Sullivan Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike
3: Connors. A few weeks ago, I went to the Sheen Center in Manhattan. I saw a very remarkable film. The name of the film is One Last Stand, One Woman's Journey to Reveal the Plight of Christians in Iraq and Syria. We're very pleased to have the star of that documentary, Helma Addy. How are you doing today, Helma?
9: I'm good. Thank you so much for being here to chat with you today, Mike.
4: Where are you from?
9: Well, I was actually born in the United States, but my parents were both born in Syria. But, you know, my family's been here for over 40 years now in the United States.
3: Do you have a Syrian background?
9: Yes. Like I said, both my parents were born in a small village in uh, northeast Syria, although my mom later on um, moved to Lebanon, and that's where she grew up. But yeah, Syria and Lebanon. That's my background.
3: Okay, so you decided, with some other people, to make a film about the plight of the Christians in the Middle East. Why did you do that?
9: Well, I am a descendant um, of somebody who was a genocide survivor uh, under Ottoman Turks, the the genocide of 1915. My great-grandmother was a survivor. Um, And, you know, I always heard her story growing up. I never actually had the chance to meet her, but my family can attest firsthand to the level of persecution that our Christian people have suffered, you know, living in the Middle East and continue to endure till this day. And so, you know, as, as somebody who has inherited this history, um you know i felt like it was my responsibility and my duty to tell the story of the assyrian christians that are struggling to survive in our homeland today
3: i mean there's some heartbreaking stories that are in your documentary how do these people even survive i i I really admire their courage
9: um well like i said i mean these are these are people that you know consider themselves the indigenous people of mesopotamia which is now parts of iraq Turkey and Syria, and for centuries they have faced many challenges living there, uh, you know, including things like discrimination, social and, and economic marginalization, religious persecution, you know, violence and this this ongoing genocide. Um, and so, you know, for centuries they have lived there, and, and in a way that, that, you know, that history has sort of given them the strength that inspired them to go on and, and have this resilience to... To continue living in their ancestral homeland, you know, many of the people that we spoke to, although they were, you know, uprooted from their um, from their homes and from their villages and are now living in these refugee camps, a lot of them told us that they want us to help restabilize their areas because they really do want to go back home. This is, you know, these are the places that they have lived for centuries, and these are the only places that they're familiar with, and that's where they want to stay.
3: Part of your story in the documentary, you talked to, I believe, it was a Ysidi woman who yes. was captured by ISIS. And yes. you just want to relay to the audience part of what she told you.
9: Yeah, so when we were in um, northern Iraq in an area called Dohuk, um, we were lucky enough that we met um, with some people from the Yazda organization, and they took us to a very remote part of town where this young woman and her family, or what, you know, what remains of her family, are now hiding out. So it's literally, I mean, this this village that nobody knows of, in a very hidden area. So we were lucky enough that we got to speak to her. She's an 18-year-old she's an young woman who was one of the, the hundreds of women that were um, captured by um, ISIS militants and um, taken to what, what is really an abandoned school now. Um, she, along with hundreds of other people, men as well, were taken to the school, and they, they were divided up. She told us that the men were you know upstairs, women were downstairs, and they called this place the School of Death. Um, the women became sex slaves and were basically um, abused um, by the ISIS men there. Their husbands, many of which were beheaded or, or never heard from again uh, have gone missing. she luckily was able to escape uh, she eventually ran away and was somehow reunited by whatever family members you know she could find and like I said now they 're hidden in this i mean what looks like a little cave uh, in northern iraq um, she has a a little infant that will never know her father. Um, And these are the kind of stories that, you know, that we constantly heard about when we were there in that area.
3: Now, you also have a clip of some ISIS fighters. How did you obtain that clip?
9: Well, we got that clip, honestly, um, online. That was not an authentic clip that we were able to film when we were on site. Um, So that was something that we found, you know, on the Internet.
3: But it gives you a true sense of the evil.
9: It really does. Um, what was interesting, though, during our whole time there in Iraq and Syria, uh, wherever we went, um, you know, when we our tour guides, uh, you know, pointing at different things that were going on around us, we constantly heard that, you know, ISIS was behind that mountain. So they point to a mountain and you'd see some dark smoke and they would say, oh, ISIS is 15 kilometers that way, or you turn to the left, uh, ISIS is, you know, uh, a few hundred meters behind that, you know, abandoned schoolhouse. So, you know, wherever you are in those areas, ISIS is, is always kind of right around the corner. But yet, you, you know, we met and we spoke to families that are trying to get on living their daily lives with this threat of ISIS lurking so, so close to them, which was really amazing.
3: What was the purpose of your film? I mean, I, why, why do you want people to see this in the United States?
9: Well, like I said, I mean, I personally inherited this story, and so I know exactly what our persecuted Assyrian Christian Syriac communities are, are living through in the Middle East. But our goal in creating this film was, um, I mean, it was like threefold. Uh, first, we wanted to create awareness. We want people here in the West to know what is happening um, to their Christian brethren being persecuted in their homeland. A common question that we heard as we met and got to know the different Christians in parts of Iraq and Syria uh, was, you know, do people in the West know that we exist? And do they realize that, that Christians are still living here, and do they know what is happening to us? So like I said, our first goal is to raise awareness by relaying these real stories of people that we met there on the ground. Um, and then we want to promote unity. We want to reach out to other communities here in the West You know, namely our other, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters, the church here, um, that can first, you know, pray on our behalf, uh, pray on behalf of the persecuted, but secondly, join their voices with ours to help us rally on behalf of our persecuted Christian brothers in Christ who really need us here in the West to be their voice, to help draw attention to what is happening to them in the Middle East. Um, And finally, we want to encourage advocacy. Uh, We hope that through this film, we can eventually affect and even help educate, you know, policymakers, uh, public officials, uh, and basically anyone who has any influence and makes decisions that affect our vulnerable people uh, living in the Middle East. We really hope that this film will give them the perspective to work toward, you know, ensuring human rights and the survival of these ancient communities in their homeland.
3: Where can somebody... Purchase the film or see it?
9: Um, as of now, we're still traveling with the film. Um, we're hosting screenings, screenings all throughout the United States. We've also been to um, Europe. We've met with Parliament members in Stockholm, in the UK. And so, like I said, we're still traveling and we're still speaking to audiences about, you know, the crisis of the Christians in the Middle East. Um, eventually, we hope that um, we, you know, we'll distribute the film by printing um, DVDs, um, but Right now, we're still in the process of actually traveling with the film, but you know we do have information about the film that people can look up and stay updated with by visiting our website. We have a website which is uh, www.ourlaststandfilm.com. Can
7: you please repeat can that? See clips
9: of the film. It's www.ourlaststandfilm.com. Um, you know, we have clips from the film. We have photos of the journey. Um we have information about some of the important people that we met um along the journey that are highlighted in the film, so people can stay updated and um they'll also hear about you know local screenings in their area by visiting that website and also by visiting our Facebook page, which is our last stand.
3: Do you have any plans about doing other future films in the middle East?
9: Well, Jordan Allett, the producer of an Altim um you know he does a lot of uh human rights um, work, so I know that he's planning another trip to the Middle East and other parts of the world where Christians are facing persecution. Uh, I myself am also looking to travel to Lebanon this summer. A lot of uh, refugees that have fled from parts of Syria and even from parts of Iraq have sought refuge in different areas in Lebanon, so I will be traveling there with an advocacy group called um, A Demand for Action. Um, That makes regular visits to these parts of the Middle East to, um, you know, to distribute humanitarian aid, also to meet with a lot of these people and basically continue to document their stories and help bring their voices to the rest of the world. So that is my plan for this summer.
3: Okay, listen, a lot of us out here are concerned about the plight of the Christians in the Middle East. We thank you for doing this movie, which the name is Our Last Stand, One Woman's Journey to Reveal the Plight of Christians in Iraq and Syria, starring Helma Adi. And thank you for being on our show.
9: Thank you so much, Mike, for helping us, you know, continuing um, to tell their story and to be a voice for these persecuted people. I really appreciate this. And
3: let us know when your film comes out and we'll promote it again when it comes out on DVD or whatever. You got it.
9: You got it. Thank you so much.
7: Thank you. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens to me? Will my
8: assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of
6: Grandma.
3: Right now, we have two gentlemen who are teaming up to fight Christian genocide and global terrorism. One gentleman's name is Michael Francesi, and the other is Thomas Creel. All right, Michael, what did you used to do for a living before you got working on on fighting Christian genocide? For for a large part of my life, I think many people know that, I was
10: a uh, a made member in the Colombo crime family in New York. Kind of followed in my dad's footsteps, uh, Sonny Francis, he was the underboss of that family back in the 60s maintain that position uh, for quite some time. And I got into the life in 1975. I took the oath, and for the next uh, 20 years of that uh, of my life, I, I operated in that capacity. And then uh, around 19, you know, in the late uh, 1980s, I, I met a young woman who is now my wife of uh, 30 years, and um, she kind of led me to uh, to the Lord. I did some time in prison, just about eight years, and when I get out of prison, um, you know, worked hard to try to turn my life around. And, and now I, uh, I speak all over the country, actually all over the world, and all over the world in the last couple of years. And so uh, I tried to uh, encourage people, give them hope, and I was able to turn my life around. Other people can do that also. And that's, uh, that's kind of the,
2: the thumbnail sketch of the story of my life.
3: That's a pretty good thumbnail. Thomas, what was your background?
2: Well, I, we've got similar skills, Michael and I, but I I started with a different path. I've always been chasing black money and the financial crime sector, the terrorism funders and money launderers. So that's been my path for the last 35, 40 years. For the last 15, 16 years, I guess it is now, I've, I've been on the international, uh, scene, I've been a U.N. panel expert. I was at the Hague on the Charles Taylor case, and I've been deep into Afghanistan with Task Force 2010, all about the black money, chasing the black money, using it as the weapon, disrupting it, taking it away, and repatriating back to the people.
3: All right, Thomas. Now, some people may not know what you mean by black money. Can you explain that for the audience?
2: Black money is the term of art, and I, I didn't invent it. It just it fell on my lap. But it, it commonly means it's the dark side of finances. It's the money that's used for bad things.
3: And in this case, in the Middle East, what are the bad things? Terrorism. Genocide. What's your goal, and how are you going to do this? We've got a
2: simple model, and it works. It's not a theory. It's not a concept. It's been proven. And there's you can, start, you can call General Petraeus. You can go to General Nicholson, the four-star in Afghanistan. You can... Ash Carter, the senators, they all love it. They love attacking the money because if you bankrupt the enemy, you win the war. But it's not an overnight uh, attack mechanism. I mean, this does take years. Bottom line, though, and that's why they do sanctions a lot, because you're, you're disrupting the flow of money. So bottom line, our motto has always been attacking the money.
3: How does ISIS, how do they supply themselves? How how do they get ammunition, weapons? There seems to be constant stream.
2: Yeah, and it's not just ISIS. I mean, I, I, I chased Charles Taylor's haters and abettors for six years, the Victor Boots of the world, the Gus Cohenhoven. I mean, they, these guys who are arms dealers, uh, the people that are wartime entrepreneurs, the money movers, the hawaladars that's the invisible movement of money, these guys are very smart. They're very good at what they do, and they're very creative. So don't think for one minute that these are uneducated third graders or, or uh, you know, watermelon sellers, and they've just turned uh to moving money to make more money. These guys are very smart. So it's and they work 24/7 at this. That's their life. Michael, what's your role in the
3: in the crusade, so to speak? Well, let me let me say this. You know, obviously, I'm no, and I
10: want to tell you why Tom and I have uh, joined teams here. I um. Obviously, I'm no stranger to violence. I spent 20 years on the street, and I've seen, unfortunately, my share of it, and at times participated in it. That's part of the life. But, you know, I have never been so appalled. I don't know what the word is at the, you know, just the the amount of cruelty and, and, you know, the way ISIS and and other uh, terrorist groups are attacking not only Christians but innocent people. I mean, this is Christian genocide, of course, but it's innocent people genocide. And my job here is, I've been fortunate in the last 15 years, um, I've visited well over 1,200 to 1,300 ministries here in the United States and all across the world, and and I've become a person of influence in that sphere. And my job is to rally the troops, let them understand they're already aware of the problem, but let them understand that we have a way to attack it and get their support both, both financially, prayerfully, and every other way that we can. So, you know, the private sector has to get involved in this. This is not an overnight deal. Tom has his work cut out for him. He's very, very good at what he does, and we need to support him both financially and in prayer and in numbers. And my job, again, as a person of influence, is to rally the troops uh, both here and uh, and across the world. I'll be in the United Kingdom, the Ukraine, and various places uh, in the next couple of months, and I'm going to bring as much attention and awareness to this as I possibly can to give Tom all the support that he needs to get the job done. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I, um, you know, I had money laundering experts chasing me and chasing my money, black money way back when. so it was very effective when they came after me, the government cut my legs out. Um, You know, I was making a a substantial amount of money and they were able to, uh, you know, to devastate me in that regard. So Tom has got the right thing. You cut off the finances you cut off the ability for these people to survive and, and buy the weapons and, and uh, things that they need. And uh, that's how to defeat them. And um, I think this is a great team. I love what Tom is doing. Uh, he's a workaholic. He's on this 24 seven. He certainly knows what he's doing. He's got a proven track record of success. He's got no fear in him to go after these people and, uh, you know, in that regard, we're both the same. I mean, the street prepared me well for uh, an assignment
3: like this, and we're ready to go. Tom, how do you get your funding?
2: Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a combination of things. I mean, it's, it's self-funded. It's groups out there that uh, will retain me, my team. Uh, right now, we've got a, a legal case going after some haters and abettors, uh, big banks. We've got a group that represents the victims. So there's, there's all sorts of different ways. Believe me, we, we can fund it. I mean, this, this is not something that will die because of lack of funds. Uh, I do want to add one thing to what Michael said is, is uh, we obviously have similar skills, and we are both very smart individuals, and it's very fortunate that we have come together in this, in this endeavor, this mission. But the one thing that truly excites both of us is is if, if the more we accomplish as far as recovering and taking away money from the bad guys whether it's, it's a hawaladar whether it's a bank whether it's the uh, trucking company that's moving the oil up jihadist highway and, and using the proceeds to fund Isis or newsroute front we recover those funds and and give it back to the Christian communities, to the churches, and let that money help rebuild their lives, their nation. And that truly would be a huge world stage success story. That's what excites us. Mike,
10: I just want to add to something, you know, when you say, where is the funding company coming from? I don't know if people understand this, but again, in, in all the churches that I've visited around the country, I could tell you that this world would be a far worse place if it weren't for Christians sitting in the pews donating to causes that they really believe in. And it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. When they get behind something, not only the amount of, of money that can be raised, okay, but the amount of support that they'll give, both prayerfully and every other way. And um, and I've seen things, I mean, the the Christian ministries that are going on around the world, I don't know if there's any other group or faith that are doing nearly as much. And they give from their hearts. And this is something that's very dear to people. They just don't know what to do. And Tom has uh, has created the method, and it's a proven method, uh, to go after this money and, and cut their legs off. And what he said is correct. You know, this money goes back into the community to rebuild the lives of these people that have been devastated. And uh, I can't think of a much better cause uh, to be involved in.
3: Now, Michael, you talked about you've seen violence in your youth and, and growing up and so forth. What is the extent of the violence toward the Christian community in the Middle East? It, it's horrible. I and, mean, I, you know, when I
10: read about it and I
3: hear about it, I mean, I, I've never witnessed
10: anything like this in my life. I mean, chopping off heads. I, I read one uh, article where some ISIS people took, you know, a six-year-old kid and started cutting off his fingers in front of his parents uh, to get them to, uh, uh, you know, to renounce Jesus Christ. I mean, who ever heard of things like this? This is barbaric. And it, I almost take this, I do take it personal, because I've never witnessed anything like this. And like I said, I'm not a stranger to it. I'm not sugarcoating anything that I was involved in in 20 years on the street. But never anything like this. And, and hurting innocent people, like I said, this is Christian genocide for sure, but this is innocent people genocide it doesn 't matter what faith you are. these people want to want to you know hurt you they 're going to hurt you and they 're going to hurt you in a horrible way and I think anybody, anybody with a with a conscience and a heart is just totally disgusted by this, and people want to get behind this they just don 't know what to do, and like I said, Tom has created the the method and
3: the path for us to help and defeat it. Tom, do you, has the United States government done enough in the past, in your opinion? And what should they be doing in the future?
2: Yeah, that's. I don't. I don't even know where to begin to answer that question. I'm a full supporter of the of the United States government. Uh, I love the military; they were my biggest supporters. Uh, General Petraeus, Ross Ridge, Admiral Dussault, Mike Mullen—they all love taxing the black money. So it's. I don't. I don't know if it's the nation building where the money goes back into the wrong hands, if it's, if it's the fact that we haven't taken the most offensive military action possible, uh, my philosophy, and I did share it with everybody that would listen, including the top generals and the, uh, the diplomats. You combine the best of the best and nobody can beat us. If you take the, the government sector, the military, the diplomats, Intel, private sector, DOJ guys, best of the best. I guarantee the U.S. will win, and it doesn't have to be by military force. And it, I, I can say we did it. Task Force 2010 was a mixture of 21 different talents. From we had auditors from the uh, the, um, the U.S. government, and they were they were auditing and red flagging, and then we'd have more trails to follow, more money. So put the best together in one room, and I guarantee you we couldn't win any, any battle.
3: Michael, where can people learn more about your, your efforts? Website?
2: Yes, website. And, Tom,
3: I think you mentioned that. And like I said, we're, we're,
10: I'm in the early process or, or the early stages of uh, teaming up with Tom. So we're putting a lot together, um, to put it out there to get people aware of this. Um, you know, I, I am fortunate enough that I speak, uh, you know, 50 to 75 times a year and I'm in front of uh, pretty substantial audiences. So they're going to hear it from me directly. And then we're going to give them the, uh, the place to go to learn more and to, uh, to donate and support whatever, which way, uh, you know, the heart tells them to go. So, uh, but Tom, you have the web, you have the uh, information they can get onto now.
2: Yeah. I think, uh, one is the hunter That's. The website that will describe attacking the black money, and then most recently we've done a Change.org online petition. And if you go to Change.org and search terror funding, you'll find our online petition. My name is is there, so you'll recognize me by the petition by my name.
3: So Thomas Creel, C-R-E-A-L. Yes. Well, gentlemen, thank you for letting us know what you're doing, and if you have any events in the New York area, please let us know, and we'll we'll get some supporters out there.
2: We're <laughs> always at the U.N.
3: <laughs> well, I don't know about getting supporters to the U.N., but uh, <laughs> if you want to do speaking engagements in New York, we'll talk about that any time. Perfect. Thank you. Well, we, we appreciate that, Mike. And yeah, I'm, I'm back and forth in New York quite a bit, and I'm, I'm still a New Yorker
10: at heart, even though I live out on the West Coast, but uh, I got family there, and I'm back quite a bit, so <clears throat> we'll pop in. We'll get together.
3: Okay, well, something to think about. Uh, Beth, our friend Father Paul, he wasn't able to make it tonight. I was hoping he was going to get in and comment about these guys.
4: No, he's out of town and speaking to people about about this in Washington.
3: Yeah. Now, again, we'll, we'll probably hope to have him on in June. Uh, You know, be- next week we're going to be talking to the ambassador or I should say consulate general for Norway to the United States and talking about Norwegian Independence Day, which as a kid was always called just Norwegian Day in Bay Ridge. And then we're going to be talking to Robin Weaver, uh, president of the Three West Club, about our book of interviews with famous women throughout history. Now on May 16th, we're at the Three West Club. We're doing a seminar. My understanding right now is that we are technically sold out. Uh I think we can always squeeze a few more people. So my gut reaction is uh if you want to go to the seminar Monday give us a call, you know, we'll we'll check it out, maybe we can fit a few more seats in there. Beth, are you going to be there that day?
4: Yes, I am.
3: Okay. So maybe you can uh, you do some ushering or whatever.
4: Yeah. Uh, we'll see what we can do.
3: Yeah, because my understanding is both seminars, the seats are all filled. But I think we can, the room's a big room. I think we can fit a few more seats in there. So I just
4: need, if, if they call in early enough, um, maybe we can move some seats, get more seats in there.
3: Right. And if you want to go to the seminar, the phone number is 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We're going to be talking about estate planning and elder loan, and most of the time, the main focus of our seminar has to do, people want to know, what 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 can I do with my house? How do I get my house to my kids? I don't want to leave my house to a nursing home. I don't want to lose my house to taxes. And, you know, for those who a little bit more sophisticated, you don't want to go through probate. And that's a good part of what we're going to be talking about at the seminars. And, you know, if you're there, you know, hold your questions to the end of the seminar, and we'll try to answer them. And I think we can usually answer, you know, almost every Seminar, any question that comes out of seminar. Now, there's room at the Bocelli Restaurant Seminar on Monday, so if you, if you want to go to the Monday seminar, I think there's room for all the, the seminars there. It's just, if you're in Manhattan, call first. We'll try to rearrange the seats or whatever to accommodate anybody. And, and I apologize if anybody is uh, not accommodated, but we'll give it our best we'll shot. We'll
4: try the best we can. Just If we have a heads-up, maybe we can do something.
3: Right, right. So call if you... Well, then we got uh, David Kincaid. By here the
8: way,
3: Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have uh, a biographer of Audie Murphy, one of the great American heroes of the 20th century.
1: The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away.